0: La 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 The Inner Wealth Podcast. La 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 The Inner Wealth Podcast. La 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 The Inner Wealth Podcast. La, 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 inner wealth podcast. You know what day it is. Inner Wealth Podcast. Meditate and give. So manifest the greater this. And things all good cause I say it is. Investing in your inner wealth. Real generational wealth is mental health. It's an inside game, no toxicity. Let's talk and more listening. Ladies and gentlemen, and now we're introducing David McCullough, founder, founder of, Inception, of Inception, Inception, the first mental, mental health gym, the inner wealth podcast. 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 podcast, the inner wealth podcast, the inner wealth podcast.
1: One. All right, everyone, welcome back to the inner wealth podcast. I got some special people in the building. Let me go first to my left. I got Mr. Kevin Johnson. Any relation with Kevin Johnson?
2: None at all, except we're both light-skinned brothers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's about it. So
1: executive coach Kevin Johnson. And then across we have Ava St. Clair, who is a spiritual advisor. Indeed. And then we got the mother of them all, the Oracle, Uh, my mom, (laughs) Tina McCullough, social work. A licensed master social work? Yes. Okay. What up, though, everybody? What, what up, though?
3: though? Hello.
1: <laughs> so, we recently were featured on um, Comedy Central with uh, Charlemagne the Gods, uh, the Gods Honest Truth show. And we had Chico Bing and Iceware uh come in to experience Inception. And so, today, we're going to do a whole podcast just going really trying to um, well, let's call it a review, <laughs> a review of the show or a um, reaction of the show and give our expertise and weigh in on everything that we saw. But also talk about and take um, take the conversation, basically continue forward with the conversation because there's different layers and levels to it. So first, I want to go to, um, obviously, everybody watched the show, right? Yeah. Yes. What yep. What are some of your thoughts uh, just as a whole, before we even go into any things uh, specific, not everybody at once.
2: Well, I, I particularly thought um, w- one of the outstanding moments was the, uh, the doctor who, who shared his philosophy of embodying the trauma mm-hmm. as part of culture. Mm-hmm. That the individual, when we are experiencing trauma, we get so normalized to it that we think it's our personality. And so we fuse the trauma to who we are and it becomes a part of our identity. I thought that was truly powerful because that's what makes healing so hard. Because if healing means we begin to feel like we're losing ourselves, Mm. we don't want to do it. Yeah. And that becomes a natural resistance to transformation. Well, you always heard those things. Well, that's just how I am. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. You've Mm -hmm. heard that before Mm -hmm. when you when you challenge somebody on something, they're behaving like, well, that's just how I am. It's like, but that's not how you have to continue to be.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a a trope in in coaching that that points to, historically, that's how you have been. Mm. How do you want to be? Right.
4: Well, people say they don't know how they want to be. And when you say that, uh, David, you was like saying, well, that's just how I am. And you can take the situation of someone that's been angry all of their lives that anger may make them feel empowered. And Kevin, you were speaking about, but how how are they going to be after they make shifts or changes? Mm-hmm. And that may put them in a vulnerable state, and that's something that they that frightens them.
1: Right. So I, I think that goes to uh, that first question that they were asking uh, when Doctor Rita they um, after they saw Chico and um, a vessel go through inception, she was asking. He was like, it's "Okay." So what do you do after you went to Inception? And that's when she said, well, everybody has to kind of seek a professional. Um, So what are your thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, I had almost like a visceral reaction to that because it's part of um, a project that I've been working on. And she was telling the truth. It's like, you know, you're going to go through six or seven different you know, coaches or therapists um, or even modalities before you find the one that you're looking for. And I think in my journey, that was the most frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought was happening for me was that I was just not finding the right person. But in some cases, like I was telling Kevin before, I felt like I was I could eat therapists for lunch, honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. because they get in there and my background in psychology at the time was just I mean, I was chewing through coaches left and right. And not realizing that what I needed was something much deeper mm. um, and so I think that sometimes people will go into therapy, which is great um and i and i and I found a couple of therapists and a coach that was really good for me but um after a while, I started to need other spiritual advisors who would do that heavy, like deep, rooted out from the weeds kind of work with me um that that became my saving grace mm-hmm. um, because after a while, the therapy and the coaching just was not. It wasn't it wasn't getting to where I needed it to go. So, yeah,
2: yeah. If if you don't have the chops, you can't coach me.
5: You can't. You just and,
2: and I, I literally, if someone starts, you know, um, using catchphrases or coachy mm-hmm. kind of language, I'll just stop and say, "Hey, listen, I've been doing this for twenty three mm-hmm. years. Either either you're going to call me out on my stuff or you're not. Mm-hmm. And if I'm selecting a coach, and I just started work with a coach maybe six seven months ago. I went through three coaches before I landed on the one that I'm working with because I ran into that same thing. If I don't feel confronted by the person who's working with me, if they don't have the courage to challenge me on my stuff, then they can't really move me. Hmm. And so I, I, I invoke that with anybody who's seeking support post-inception or seeking support post-realization of their trauma. That if the person in front of you that you're interviewing for care or psych- psychiatric treatment or therapy or any kind of intervention isn't able to confront you in some way where you feel uncomfortable, then they're not the person. Mm-hmm. If they, you feel warm and fuzzy afterwards, they're yeah. probably not going to help you much. Mm. That, that's just my own personal lens on it. But if that's if you really want to move.
1: But then my question goes into where you said, you know, uh, even Dr. Rita was talking about what well, he's going to take you about six therapists. It's like, why is it taking you six why? therapists? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, if, for me it was more of a of a mismatch of values, which is hard to, to ask somebody who's already going through a lot to kind of sit down and write that what those are. But I mm-hmm. mean, if somebody can sit down and just write out their goals, even if it's not their their deepest value systems and then go looking for that coach or that therapist, you're reading their website and looking for the same keywords that you have written on your your goal sheet or your value sheet that will cut down on the time significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, going through that, um, also the other thing that I had to do was shy away from going Mm -hmm. through other institutions and organizations because I'd say, oh, I need help with this thing. And that particular institution would send me to a coach or a therapist that was in line with their values or belief systems. So to be very careful about, um, approaching it in that perspective as well. Um, it just requires so much self-empowerment from the beginning, um, and a lot of self awareness in order for you to cut down, cut
1: down on that time. And and that's the, but that's the problem. It's hard,
5: yeah. Yeah. You don't, you it's don't, don't have that self
1: awareness yeah. when you're there, like. and you're
4: depressed and you're anxious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you have the cognitive abilities yep. to even think something like that? I, for for me, it worked out great because I had a therapist that referred me to her therapist, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so and he was the type of therapist I was looking for. And what you stated, Ava, I have a background because I have a master's degree in social work. I was in my social work program at the time. So I knew the different types of therapies that were out there, and I was looking for psychodynamic. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I got. I got a psychodynamic therapist. But the one thing that uh, hit home for me, particularly working through my program and seeing people that want to be therapists, they don't work on their own stuff. Uh-huh. And I would not go to a therapist who had not worked on their own stuff. And you and you'll know because they'll be doing a lot of projecting. Yeah. Like they'll project what they want for themselves on you, uh-huh. you know, or uh-huh. um they're not listening to what your situation is. There there's too much sometimes input as to what they think you should yeah. be doing. Uh-huh. And what you should be accomplishing. So for me, it was a referral, which was great. And my insurance happened to pay for it. So that <laughs> was even better, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, we're talking from a perspective of we were kind of wise in a way of mm-hmm. what, what we wanted for ourselves. When a, a lot of our clients that come to Inception, they don't know what they want. Yeah. They're in that anxious mode, fight or flight, where they're in freeze, they can hardly, you know, get out of bed. So how do we go about recommending or?
1: And I think that goes to what uh, that one question that Charlemagne asked Michelle about her awakening. And this is starting to become a, a, a term that I mean. Yeah, I probably heard that term for a long time. If you've been in a spiritual self-help world, you've mm-hmm. heard the term mm-hmm. awakening. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, just from hearing that word, it's like many different levels of awakening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's not right. just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not you just You woke up. Just mm-hmm. one level. It's like if you come out of the matrix, you understood. Even out of the matrix, Neo still was coming out of matrixes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. his belief system. Um, and so when people come in, they yeah, they they haven't even had their awakening yet. Mm-hmm. You saw Chico and 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 Vezo when they came in. We saw the we saw the behind the scenes because a lot right. of it was edited,
3: mm-hmm. you know.
1: But behind the scenes, like you can tell, like one Chico had fell asleep, mm-hmm. and he never he said he had a hard time falling asleep with people in the room. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about they're talking about the opening. Mm-hmm. Like Inception as an opening, and I like to think of Inception as more just an opening because you can do more once you start to have a Mm -hmm. level of awareness because those tools in there, they're, they're there and we can guide you, but there's deeper levels of using them. I mean, I've done over 60 different healing modalities and troubleshooting my own self and alternative and some non- non-alternative, non yeah. um, but it's just layers and levels to it. So what what is your thinking about, you know, what's your thoughts about the whole idea of awakening and <laughs> what was that? What was that even for you? I guess the first time you had some type of awakening.
2: Um, well, I, I think there's a, as you said so well, uh, I think there are layers. I think I started from experience. I had this very deep loss at, at 28 years old and lost my mom, lost a really big job for myself that I, that I felt was a huge career thing for me. I got fired. Um, and I was also in ministry at the time. And I was told by the pastor of the church that I was ministering at that I would never be a minister in his church again. So mm-hmm. I literally, in, in like a 30-day period So many anchors in my life were just kind of ripped out from under me
3: Mm. and I
2: didn't know it at the time, but it was like pieces of my soul, literally just ripped away that I had no reference point to, to, to anchor myself back to the ground again. And I went on a tailspin. I didn't know I was on a tailspin though, Mm. but my life and patterns in my life and decisions that I was making were becoming more and more incongruent. And that led to making decisions that I was like, why, how, why am I doing this? And eventually I got to this place where I realized I wasn't going to go to a pastor to talk about this. They couldn't help me. I didn't have any trust in a spiritual institution at this point. Mm-hmm. And then I suddenly found myself in front of a therapist who then led me to be a part of a men's retreat. And this mm-hmm. was this gradual like unfolding like, oh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm in. I'm mm-hmm. in this place of reckoning. And I need to figure out how to get my feet back on the ground. So that was, that was my start. Mm.
5: Yeah, I think I think my first one I had like we talked about many different uh, uh, awakenings, but one actually happened um, a few, we'll say weeks after I attempted suicide um, with my college in front of my college roommates. And I remember after the whole thing happened, I kept thinking to myself, "You were just doing that for attention. You didn't, that's not how you're really feeling." But in the moment. But when I went back to the moment, I was like, no, I I wanted to leave. And a couple of weeks after that incident, I was walking through the hall, getting ready to leave um, that particular dorm and move into another place. And I was like almost arrested in the middle of the hallway. It was like super dark. And there was like this, uh, like a, a mass or something that completely overwhelmed me. And I just fell to the floor. And I'd been out of the church then for some years. um, I hadn't really gone back since I graduated from from high school. And the moment I hit the floor, the first thing that I looked for was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I just started praying and crying and praying and crying. And I think maybe like two or three minutes later, the whole thing lifted and I got up and I started kind of moving around again. But I remember in that moment, my mind had kind of split. There was some part of me that was aware that there was something else bigger and um, let's say ineffable or like ethereal happening in my life. Some force was moving within me and on my behalf. And then there's this other part of me that was like, Well, let's just keep packing these boxes and keep it moving. Um, and I lived in that split state of mind pretty much up until the last three or four years of my life where my spiritual side was Private and to me, and then there's this other side of me that was completely separate. Um, but that awakening just—it never stopped. It didn't go away. It just mm. kept unfolding, and things kept happening. Um, and it wasn't until a few years ago when I totally accepted it that I thought, okay, this is this is what it is.
4: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For me, uh, surprisingly, I had a an awakening when I was 12. Mm. I remember looking up at the sky and asking, why am I here? For a 12-year-old, you'd be like, why would you ask that? And when I look back, I don't know why I asked that. I just, it was like something took over me, like there's a special purpose for you, and just keep moving forward. And I never forgot that I was sitting on the front porch, and I remember that day looking up in the sky. And then the, the second time, I call it a shift, like, there is a knowing, and you never go back to the way you thought. It's like something comes over you. The second time was when I was 30. I was 30 years old, and it was like there was another shift that took place. And then the third time, and there's been many shifts, but these are more pronounced, was during my cancer diagnosis when I, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, and that's been 30 years ago, that was a big awakening about the mind and body connection and how what I was feeling manifested in my body and what I was going through. Because after my cancer treatment, I read a book by Bernie Siegel, Dr. Bernie Mm -hmm. Siegel, uh, Love Something and Healing. And he took you through the stages of... What was going on in your life? What did it mean for you? And I got a better understanding of the mind-body connection. And my oncologist at the time from Sinai Grace, you know, I went in one time and I was feeling vulnerable. And I said, what if, and he said, don't even think it. Your body can hear you. And that was during that time that I really understood that, you know what, I have more power than I knew and that I need to pay attention more to my feelings and learn to start to be more authentic.
3: Mm.
4: Yeah. Okay.
1: And during the one of the segment parts, of uh, the questions was about, um, you know, breaking curses. And um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was talking about how, um, he doesn't like to use the word break and, you know, inception. we, we That terminology is used just for, because people understand it. Mm-hmm. But we use the term really as EPI, experience, process, and integrate. Mm-hmm. Because energy can never be created or destroyed, only transformed. So at every step of each level of awakening that you had, you freed up some energy and you had to start to make the determination of what you were going to turn that energy to. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. just having an awareness and awakening by itself, it don't do anything if, you, if you're if you making the same decision. Right. The Awareness is one thing and the ability to self-correct, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But I found that by taking that energy and, and having an intention with it and, and being able to move from post-traumatic stress to post-traumatic dr- growth, You get more, and he talked about space, Mm because you've emptied that. Mm -hmm. You're not Mm -hmm. carrying that around. You know how Mm -hmm. we talk about people, you're carrying on your back and on your shoulders. You got to let that go, bring it to the altar. What did you talk, what exactly are you talking about that we're carrying? You can look at it from a physiological perspective, Mm -hmm. what you're carrying down to the electrical impulses within your nervous system Mm -hmm. and how you're, you know, holding your jaw tight, and mm-hmm. how your 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 shoulders up mm-hmm. to your ears, mm-hmm. and how why your why is your fist balled up right now, and why is your jaw tight? You know, again, mm-hmm. it's like all that energy is really when we talk about. Uh, to me, when we talk about stress and trauma, that's how we survive. Sick of being upsold at gyms. <laughs> Not when you're stuck and surviving, you know, yeah. is mm-hmm. every
2: day you something. Yeah, it's it's also um, I, I, lo- I love the physical characterizations of those because those are um, th- those we internalize. Right. Mm-hmm. I see also in the coaching space, I see people behaviorally acting out their trauma in or drama cycles mm-hmm. of like they don't want to take responsibility for themselves. Right. So they externalize all of that energy and recreate the very situations that they are, were often traumatized from, mm-hmm. and it just becomes a cycle of, and, and it does become part of family cultures mm-hmm. that you know I learn by arguing, or I I, have, I feel really good when I have a good argument, or I feel really good when I punch a wall, and. That becomes the expression of trauma, but no healing is taking place. Or
4: he loves me because he beats me because he loves exactly, me. Exactly,
2: exactly. Identifying love with the trauma because that was the context that we grew up in, and it's 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 persistent and it's in, insidious in a way because mm-hmm. it does feel like we're getting something of value from our energy, but it's actually still depleting us. Mm.
1: And it it comes out too, it it seeps out, not just in your body, like it really manifests in your day-to-day life. I mean, you ever met someone, I knew somebody just always had flat tires,
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: always having car trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you... You really, you know, mm-hmm. you have problems getting somewhere in your life, huh? Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like those things. That's a things, good analogy. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. things <laughs> manifest outwardly, but they would never be able to think of it like, no, that's too airy-fairy. But when you start getting down to the quantum world, the quantum world and the spiritual world, mm-hmm. which we talked about mind-body connection. And that's, I mm-hmm. think, what we have to do is begin to bridge science and spirituality because they're, they're the telescope but a different lens. You're still Mm -hmm. looking through Mm -hmm. the telescope. You're just looking deeper into something. And the further you keep going down into it, guess what you see? The same shit
3: Mm -hmm. over and over Mm -hmm. and over,
1: but everybody else is trying to make it seem like it's something else. But that energy that you carry and that, you know, those things, man, they they manifest. And I'm like, this person, they have a, and I don't want to even call it a dirty energy, but it's a, it's a, it's a very woe is me energy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
5: a very specific. Yeah, frequency. life
2: happens to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to I am happening in life. Mm-hmm. I have agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, one thing they talked about too is um, creating safe spaces, you know, and I think that's, that's, something that we, we pride ourselves on at Inception is we created a safe place. And you you mentioned something about that when you came in. It's like, this is the futuristic... The way oh, yeah. you, you worded it, <laughs> I can't wait to hear it because it was on the news. But <laughs> but the way you worded it, it was so so profound that I was sitting there in awe of how you described it.
5: Oh, the experience itself. Yeah, it's um, I've been playing a lot. Well, how do I say this? I have been, um, over my life... Um, I was raised in Orlando, between Orlando and Miami, and I had a lot of Disney experiences. Are you? Are you from Iowa? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, That's just the British private school talking. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) comes out sometimes. But, yeah, and what I learned in that um, going, we would go a lot, my dad would take us, and what he would always show us is how it worked. Like, look, babe, look underneath the thing, and this is how this is working, and this is what's making you feel this way, and they're blowing the Mm. cookie the cookies sent from the bakery out from the parking lot through the vents so you can have this particular kind of experience. And my mother would get angry and she's like, oh, don't tell him that you're going to ruin it. But for me, it made it more magical. Mm. And I've been trying to create those things in, in the projects that I've built for other people, but also been searching for those experiences for myself. Because I think People who are looking for a space like Inception may be leaders in their own right, maybe at, even if it's just at home or in the community, or maybe actually business leaders. And I think, as leaders, we need more magic, right? Yeah. It's like that old school Bible thing when they would talk about in church. They'd be like, you know, God is over the man, and the man is over the kids, and da 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 da. da. And it's not so much about male, or, you know, or woman. It's like when you're a leader, there's there's nobody else. Right, that that God presence is your lean on that is your shoulder to lean on mm-hmm. and I think having actual physical manifestations of that God presence of that magic in life helps leaders and people who are having a difficult time or who need that shoulder to lean on keep going it's why it's so important and so like to see a space like inception just you know in Farmington Hills I was like okay and it's interesting you say awesome. that because
1: my mom probably knows what I'm gonna say next because we're big. Disney World people,
3: yeah, oh, yeah like like for we sure. want to go down
1: just to because the level of detail,
3: yeah,
1: the the magic is in the details,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: And so from the moment you step through the door, you want an experience of sight, yeah. smell, what you hear,
3: mm-hmm.
1: like you know just all those little nuances, mm. those things. And make it a safe place for people because they're like, You know what? you care about me because yep. you put a lot of effort into mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this yeah. that's like if somebody cooked you some food and it was just like, these are all natural ingredients. this yeah. is amazing right, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. that's 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 the thing and and for us we we like to hear that mm-hmm. because we like we're like. We did that on a you know <laughs> little budget and yeah. It, just it, wait it's,
3: if
4: we have some money. Wait, wait, wait till yeah. <laughs> wait till yeah. we go to the next level. We're, you're going to the moon,
5: right? <laughs> that's
3: awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but exactly. it is. That's
5: what it is. It's about care, you know. And because of that, I can't I can't hardly get on a plane. I'm constantly having to check myself because I'm telling everybody. What y'all need to do, you see homegirl, how she, what y'all need to do is, you know, the, the flow should go like this. The process should go like this. Mm-hmm. This needs to happen there. This mm-hmm. color, this needs to be uplit. This needs to be downlit, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I have to stop myself from doing that at every turn. But I think that it's just my, my way of interpreting care, like you were saying, and, mm-hmm. emp- and empathy for the people that we're serving. And to remember that when we're doing these things, that we're being of service. Yeah, so. I
2: think we've become experienced snobs. You've been honestly.
5: horrible together. Experienced snobs. Every, experience.
2: every, every hotel, every <laughs> space where we're being served. <laughs> there's, a, there's a, I, I heard somebody, I think it was Tom uh, Peters, years ago, um, In Search of Excellence was the book that he wrote. And he talked about this thing called the field of excellence. And I think when we talk about safe spaces, um, I, I think when, when we are creating a field of excellence, People feel like you know what you're doing Mm -hmm. and that there's competency and credibility and a sense of I can be vulnerable here because it looks like they've taken care of all these things. I don't have to be mindful of these Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And when people can take their mind off of things, when they can become less hypervigilant, all of a sudden they're open. Right. And and there's less resistance to the very thing that you're trying to create, which is healing. Mm -hmm. And and that facilitates it. So it's like people don't hold excellence like they used to. You think about how we experience customer service nowadays Mm. and how many times it's like not exactly customer service. It's like... You feel the disgruntlement, or you feel yeah. resentment, or I feel you...
4: let down a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're let, let it down. Now.
2: Yeah, you walk into a brand experience and you don't get that brand experience, yeah. right? And you're like, "Wow, I didn't expect that," and then you lower your expectation the next time around. Mm. And that it, I think societally we've done that. That that it, not just it's easy to say like well, two, the last five or six years. We've, I think we've been things in there, but... have become a very. I think it's too
1: reasons for that one things have become very cookie cutter Mm -hmm. i used to be and my mom can attest to this i was a dresser Mm. i used to dress Mm -hmm. you know that about me right
4: of course
1: (laughs) now you just see me in a sweatshirt, and jeans, but I used to dress. Mm-hmm. My, my, my grandmother, to said, boy, you sharp. And I, ain't know, <laughs> I didn't even know for years she was saying sharp, first right. of all. She was saying sharp. I was like, I don't know what sharp is. <laughs> but she said, boy, sharp. You sharp. I'm like, oh, sharp. Okay. Yeah. But um yeah, I used to I used to dress to the T. That was me. That was the experience of David. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. remember I had some little cufflinks that had little watches on them, like little things that that made things pop. Mm-hmm. And now I want to tell on that whole story because now if I go shopping, I'm not even interested. I know. All of oh the God. stuff yeah. looks,
3: that feels mm-hmm.
1: nothing. Even at the art shows my mom used to go to back in the day, um, like she used to go to, what was it? Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. And, and the, some of the pieces that got got there was like, you you can tell that that piece, man, was like this person Exquisite. put some mm-hmm. effort mm-hmm. into it. I went to an art festival and I'm just mm-hmm. like, it, it's, it's too accessible to us now because we can get on Pinterest and Google and see.
4: Etsy. Mm-hmm. See all of mm-hmm. it.
1: Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. So when you when you experience it splat. You're on dopamine overload anyway. Right. So it's like the experience does not feel the same because you're on you again, you're on that dopamine overload. But yeah, yeah I feel the exact yeah. same way, man. Like, you know, like specifically around food.
5: Yeah. I'm like, why everything tastes the same? The, like, the best at the restaurants, I think. <laughs> it's like, well, we've gotten really good. Now we just have a good eye. You know? I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that, that one. Yes, that one. Not definitely. We walked into one last night and I was like, nope. I literally walked in <laughs> and I walked out. <laughs> and I was like, I already know what this is going to be about, you know. Um, and I think that that's just its own kind of, if you want to talk about it in those terms, its own kind of trauma. Like people are so afraid to do anything anymore because they don't know what the reception or rejection is going to be mm-hmm. that they don't take those creative chances. And so we have a lot of people, um, whether you're talking about in politics or in social culture or even in art, just, like, recoiling and, like, pulling themselves back and mm-hmm. not really expressing themselves truthfully because they don't want to deal with the backlash from doing so. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother, you know, soapbox I could stand on, <laughs> but it, it's, that's something else that we really need to pay attention to.
2: You know, we, we were talking earlier about the distinctions, and this, this is a, a slight pivot, but I think it's in the same vein, <laughs> a, around the distinctions between therapy and coaching. hmm and, and part of this segue as well in, in that the the way we tee up something the way we frame something is the way people we hope will experience it and and so when we talk about things like healing and modalities that access the our healing mechanisms in, in our in our in our way of being in our bodies in our minds then w- w- there needs to be some kind of a rubric that says there's invitation here so what is the invitation of of therapy what is the invitation of coaching you know and and i and i think there's there's something around safety that is a part of both of those invitations and there's also a degree of excellence so you you know when you sit in front of a coach or someone who says they're a coach and you hear them talking and you pick up things about them that seem incongruent with what they're saying mm-hmm. their invitation gets off
3: right and and, and
2: you're kind of like mm. I don't, I don't I would never hire you as a coach, you know. <laughs> you just have that going on in your head. Or I would never work with you as a therapist. There's something about you that doesn't seem like you actually practice what you preach.
1: It's kind of like the the nurse at the hospital and they walk out and they smoke the cigarette. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
2: yes. That's it's so like, blatant. With but you right? yes. It's it's like, you're supposed to be like taking that. care
1: of me and you're not even <laughs> taking care of yourself. Yeah, How are you taking exactly. care of me?
4: <laughs> That's
2: true. And, and so I I I I it's a simple rubric, but it's it's basically like if if I get a sense that someone is not functioning, like they're not functional in their job or not, they're not able to wake up in the morning, brush their teeth, take a shower, put on a fresh pair of clothes and, and head out the door and go to work, and there's, there's something that might be inhibiting just that simple level of functioning, they're operating zero to a deficiency. And in that case, I, I see them as in need of therapy, not coaching. Like, if you can't get past your depression in order to function, Mm -hmm. or if you are functioning depressed in in, in that depressed mode, and you know you're in that space, and yet you still keep pushing and pushing and pushing, you're almost burned out, then coaching is not the place to start. Mm -hmm. There there needs to be a, a return to at least zero functioning capacity in order for a coach to be able to say, okay, now we have something at least functionally to begin to work with, to take you higher, but until you heal to get to that basic zero space where you have the competency to grow.
1: Well, I think that's Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of need. And that's why Jesus always Mm -hmm.
2: fed Fed people people. first.
1: Like Mm -hmm. we're going to talk to you about spiritual stuff and your stomach hungry, Mm -hmm. your stomach
4: growling, you know, but I know
1: you had something to say about
4: that. Um, (laughs) You brought up a good point. Some years ago when uh, David first started the business, and so I used the analogy of, David, this is your baby, and when you grow, your baby's going to grow. Right now, your baby cannot feed you it's in its infancy, and what we found is throughout the years, as we have grown developmentally, emotionally, within ourselves— We can take our business up to the next level and the next level Mm -hmm. and the next level because those resources are there now to meet the opportunities that the business brings us. If you're in a state of depression, you can have all the opportunities you want, but if you can't get out of bed or you can't focus, then you're not going to progress. Your your business is not going to progress. So... We have found that as the business gets bigger, we have to expand ourselves on the inside, and then the business will grow. Someone, Beautiful. I read a uh, quote the other day, it said that success, uh, happiness is not success. Uh, you don't make success, um, let me back up. You don't become happy by being successful. You become successful by being happy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you start from the place of feeling good, then you can be able to take on those opportunities that come your way because we have a lot of work to do in our business, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're always kind of engaging and trying to keep balance in our lives. Uh, How much energy do we need to put in the business today? Do we need to take a step back? Do we need Mm -hmm. to... David goes dancing or, you know.
1: I think it's hard It's hard for people who are anxious and who use the anxiety energy to go and accomplish things to work with us because mm-hmm. we're real in the flow of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Could we be further along if we wanted to, to cut down a tree with a dull saw? Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. but there's a price to pay yeah. when you've done that. And um, you know, I don't want to do all this building. My parents are getting older. Mm-hmm. You know, it's times that I need to be spending with my life, not looking for the business to now, oh now I, I now I'm on this show. So I should feel better about myself, right? And you you don't. You know, so many people come to me and we had this conversation off camera, man, congratulations. I'm proud of you for what you're done, And I'm just like, OK, what's the next level, though? I'm 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 not there. I'm not on the accolades of everything. That's cool. I appreciate it. I'm grateful. But I just need to be able to feel good right now. I don't need to wait till the next dopamine hit drops because then I'm in I'm in the matrix. Yeah. And I don't want to be in the 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 success feel good matrix. The only way you get to feel good is when people see you as successful. That's prison.
3: Mm
5: -hmm. It's a it's a run. Um, I I talk about it a lot. And in my last business, I had a, a tech startup that also combined like you know the spiritual advising or coaching. Um, for other business owners and it was difficult because I you know that wasn't my inherent first way of doing business I wasn't a go get it go get it go get it however the state of mind that I was in I'd attracted other mentors clients people who were Mm. and so I'm let's chill let me get a drink a tea, I'm going to come into the office around 10 o'clock after my prayer and meditation and then we'll get back into business and my mentors were like, Ava, you know, <laughs> and they're going, they're going, they're going and they're chasing this next high, this next high and so, you know, you get some positive feedback from that and I actually switched tracks Mm. And it's like the more that I followed them down that road, the the, the less effective I became for my clients, mm. the more burnt out I got. It was just a disaster. Like the mm. entire business model kind of fell apart once I switched tracks. And so I ended up having to close everything down just to kind of get back to myself and remember like, no, you, you had it. Right, the first time. Mm-hmm. There was nothing wrong with the way that you were doing it before. The timing was different. It was like the peak of hustle culture, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it, was, and it was hard. You and know? all these
1: spiritual practices and, and, and quotes and verses, it's all telling you about that. Mm-hmm. It's all telling you about things like gluttony. It's mm-hmm. telling you about, um, you know, life is about a journey and not a destination. Mm-hmm. And then you got stories in Hollywood that show you. That life is a journey, not a destination. Because those the people who have everything next, you know, you got Anthony Bourdain kills himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You well, you had you had quote unquote everything, everything. Yeah. to us, but you hadn't. You didn't have a feeling in your body to even want to stay here. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, because only thing is only one thing that makes up your life, and that's your life mm-hmm. is your own body. Yeah. If you can't feel in your body, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Or if you're overfilling, like you said earlier, you talked about mention to suicide. And I think a lot of people, you know, uh, because Michelle Williams was talking about that's how she had her awakening, when she had more thoughts of suicide than not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not an abnormal thing. And you have to really quantify what suicide really is from a layman's perspective. Because to me, it's just at the end of the day is you don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're trying to get out of pain
5: yeah and for me i kept saying it was weird like for years i kept saying i want to go home i want to go home and i didn't know what that meant like i just kept telling me if i want to go home and like where is home i was like i don't know it's the stars or something i just want to go home but that feeling of home i gained eventually within myself mm-hmm. right. but that was a, a very deeply spiritual connection that i had that gave me that sense of stability for myself but i couldn't get it earlier i didn't know and and it wasn't until i met the right teachers to kind of help me with that vocabulary to make it make sense i think
2: there's an element of well i think it's an emergence right now of healed healers as Mm -hmm. opposed to a a flock of wounded healers Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. so, so many of our career choices are driven by our pain right you know we go into a particular line of work because we need healing Mm-hmm. So I become a coach, you know.
4: And I become a social worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And right. I and I open in inception. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and then we realize like there's an opening. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that's why I got into this mm-hmm. field. Right. And so then you start doing your own work. And and in my own journey of of doing my own exploration, I, I had to get to this place of like there there is a point where I can't work with this, I know I can't work with this particular person because I have not confronted that in me. And until I do, I have to say no to this person. I have to refer them to this person or that Mm. therapist or whatever. I cannot compromise my integrity by working with somebody on something that i have not worked with that was
1: like wayne dyer you know wayne dyer mm-hmm. you know he had all that wisdom man and he was like yeah don't ask me about relationships you know he had like mm-hmm. six yeah. wives whatever mm-hmm. and he was very authentic about it and he's a funny guy too he's like oh well, don't ask me that with that like you know mm-hmm. i can't so help like, you there mentioned
5: that one time which was really surprising too somebody asked her like how do you get through relationships she's like I, "Look, i don't know i'm on my third Third one, I don't, I do not know. Who said that? now? <laughs> Yala Van Zandt. Oh, okay. uh, it was hilarious. It kind of shocked me. I was like, okay, yeah, but that I you think know? that's
1: very powerful when you you have the uh, you know the vulnerability and it's just like yo, I don't listen. I I haven't like you said, I haven't got past that part of the game yet. Mm-hmm. I'm still dodging bullets. I ain't stopped them yet. Right. Okay, just give me <laughs> an opportunity to get to that point. You know, yeah. but but at the same time, you have a, a level of uh, integrity to not. Yeah, I'm am going to be your financial uh, advisor and, like, you got, dang, you got a pot to
2: piss in and oh, what you're throwing yeah. out of. You yeah. went there. All right.
4: <laughs> that's grandma talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You remember that phrase, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because something Kevin said about home, and that was one of the things when I went through my th- therapy that I learned that home was inside of me. Mm. And wherever I am, I'm at home. Mm. And that gave me such a sense of freedom because— then I realized home wasn't necessarily an external place that I had to keep looking for and that it was inside of me. And that was a big shift for me, like, wow. But imagine some people's homes are messed up. They're like, oh, no, I don't like this home inside of me. Like, I'm trying to run away from this. But once you can clear out all of that, the barriers, the negative energy, the fear, the self— uh, loathing, the mm. the bullying thoughts, the menacing thoughts. Along the way, in therapy, I made a different home for myself. Mm. And uh, I've said this to David many a times and to his sister, too, that I feel that one of the things that we do as adults is we find our home inside of us and we find our mother and father inside of us.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Because, you know, our physical mother and father are going to leave us but if you find that warrior in that nurturer, in that place of home inside of you, I'm telling you, I I call that my sweet spot because you find yourself. Yeah. It's and beautiful. It's, yeah. So, you know, any relationship that you're in, you bring that to the relationship instead of your trauma patterns and your drama. You know, you bring that. And so that's what you... Um, That's when you can have better types of relationships, more loving relationships, because you're not looking for that person to provide a home for you. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for that person to be the warrior or the nurturer. You know, Mm -hmm. you you can do that for yourself. So I say I'm the cake, I'm I'm the vanilla, I'm the sugar, I'm the butter, (laughs) I'm the eggs. You can bring the sprinkles and Mm -hmm. the the sugar, the icing. But I can have cake without ice, and I can be a pound cake, and I can be just good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, um, you said something about, too, like healers uh, starting to heal. And I want to know t- from all of you, like as you found yourself being more home, home, not whole, but being more home at home, at some point you, you, you don't have the desire to do the same thing. I, I know that I Inception had to grow because I couldn't continue doing it the same way because I was the, the person behind the counter for everybody who walked through that door for years. Mm. And I can't do that at the same level because if I did, I'd be done, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So now mm-hmm. you see more automation yeah. and it allows me to still do the work that I'm here to do but not be so consumed with it. Because once again, like, I think you told me a story of a guy who was a therapist for years. And after he really healed himself, he was like, I want to go do music.
4: Yeah. He was, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he was actually trying to work on some, he was a doctor that worked on some technique that he was um, harmed or injured as a child. And when he went to therapy and he found out that is why he became a doctor, he didn't want to do that anymore. And so, but his mentor said, "You're like one in, in three people in the world that can do this technique. Now that you know this, can you teach others? Because he didn't want to do the technique anymore, mm. but mm. he taught others. Wow,
1: mm. yeah. And that's so. How are how are you at those levels? Where are yes. you at in those levels?
5: I, you're um, I think for me. Uh, I was able to—the component that I kept trying to add into my healing modality, let's say, was technology, and especially things around um, coding and things like that. And at the time, the part that was rather unhealed with me was my need— to prove to people that I was smart. So I grew up my whole life, and I always wanted to be in, like, tech and sciences and Mm. things like that. But they were like, hey, you're not good at math. Like, I have a legitimate math disability at a a particular level. Um, And so they kept telling me, you can't do it. And so as an adult, I'm like, I'm going to code camp. I'm doing this. I'm going to save my community. I got all this funding from these, you know, organizations to do this work. And I got to the point, even after I let the business go, that I was like, I don't have to prove that to anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And because I was able to let that component go, I was able to kind of surrender to the other the other side of it, which is even less about helping other people heal, but it's more about giving them a space to do their own work. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can remove myself, the need to prove something to myself, whether it's healing or mm-hmm. building a website or whatever, saving community, whatever it is, I can now remove myself from that process. I certainly enjoy the advising role. Um, and it's something that, that gives me a sense of peace. But it isn't something that I now have to have my hands in. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that, for me, has been um, it's opened me up a lot to so many other possibilities. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is all this other fun stuff that I can do instead of um, holding someone's hand through their business or through their relationship life all the time mm-hmm. and just allowing them, giving them the space and giving them the tools and stepping back and saying, here, here's what I think the issue is. Here's kind of where I think you are and the factors affecting that. Here are some resources for that. Yeah, and done. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, a- after being in the field for over 20 years and and doing a lot of one-to-one talking with people and helping them work through issues and all that stuff, I'm I'm feeling a shift um, away from that that same mode of proving myself. You know, because I, I mean. A black man in the coaching industry was pretty rare yeah. for a large chunk of my career.
1: It, so it's like you and uh what's Anthony Robbins homeboy name, the other black guy. And like, how did that one yes. black guy get up there with M- Anthony McClendon. McClendon yeah. Did you ever think that? Like how
2: I have, I have Anthony, often wondered. Yeah. Anthony
1: is here in the he's like the father of Oh yeah. Coaching, right? Yeah. And so when you saw McClendon, you like Outside of Les Brown,
2: right, more who was more motivational, speaking, is not coaching. It, yeah, yeah.
1: So when yeah. you go to McClendon, it was like, how did that brother get there? You know, so it's like, yeah. So when you see people. It,
2: yeah. So I, I, I'm at this place. Um, and I, I had this this really heavy insight, um, heavy for me uh, it, while I was doing my my retreat uh, in Costa Rica around pride and how much pride drove me in my career. It, I mean, in a way, it kind of kept me afloat when my esteem was low and I didn't see many other people of color in the industry. And I think that this, this statement, pride is a constraint, hit me at some point during that retreat, that pride has its functionality, and then it has this, this downturn of value creation and i was i realized that i was on this downturn side of it mm. like i can't i can't ride that as as a boy anymore and releasing that was a point of healing for me mm. that i didn't have to have this thing on my chest or chip on my shoulder about being whatever i was in my field that i could actually just be myself now mm. and not worry about proving anything and with that came this weird onset. Like, I've been talking to Ava about scripts that I've had ideas for and, you know, just... just Being
4: creative. Doing piano. You could just be creative up, now.
2: Singing. You know, just all kinds yeah. of different things that, that open up things. And I think shifting more into a role as an elder within the coaching community for other uh, BIPOC coaches that are emerging and new talent and people who have, you know, great insight at age 25, 26, 27. And you know stuff that I I wasn't even exposed to at, the, at their age, and being able to share my experience with them and focusing more on communities as opposed to uh, communities of coaches, communities of healers, mm-hmm. as opposed to one-on-one work. So it's a, it's a shift, and I, I'm I'm moving in that direction.
4: And for me, you know, this is really interesting. When I started in the field of social work, I started with uh, working with children that were uh, pre-K. Mm-hmm. And I was in my therapy sessions during that time, too. And as I progressed developmentally, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. I looked back. I went from pre-K, then I was with elementary school kids, and then I had middle school kids, and then I had high school kids, and then I taught at the college level. And then David got me and said, you're done with that. And I was done with it. I was like, I'm done with this. It was like. I had grown through all those developmental stages during my therapy. Remember, I said that I, you know, laid a new foundation for myself. So working with those children also helped me work through what I needed to work through. So I ended up being faculty at an online college. And then I started working, you know, as a, a businesswoman, which took me years to even Say that word like I'm an entrepreneur, like really? I'm that's what I am. Like, with you know, we know that's my title, that's just a title. But I've in that grown into this role now of feeling more proficient, efficient, like finding your home, finding your parents inside of you. It's like it was a really great um, journey Mm. to growth. And so now it's like, I was telling David, I was like, so what do I do now? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm in this gray point of I want to help people, but it's not the same way that I wanted to help them in the past. I release them and let them go and they can heal or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It took me a second to get to that point because you become very enmeshed with mm-hmm. your clients in the beginning because you're trying to heal yourself and you 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 think you want healing for them more than they want it, but really you want healing for, for you. Yourself. You're just mm-hmm. hoping that well, if you get healed from me helping you heal, then I'm gonna feel better. Something right. funny how we yeah. couple those mm-hmm. things right. together, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. but. You know, after a while, I got to the place. You know, I was taking home clients' ailments and stuff. My mm-hmm. stomach hurts, or this ha- this hurts, and or a client will come in and be like, and I would ask him, well, "How do you feel?" Well, I feel more anxious, and I would feel, um, what's the word? Like, like I I wouldn't feel like I felt like fraudulent because I felt like, well, I'm supposed to help you right. not mm-hmm. feel anxiety, right. and you right. feeling anxiety, yeah, right. and you are right. feeling depression. But along the way of my own journey and understanding, like, oh, no, those emotions, you're going to have to feel them, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so you start feeling them, and then your client comes in, and they're like, I got anxiety. And I'm like,
3: good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, Breathe yeah. through
4: it. It's you more know? <laughs> of a detached feeling. Yeah, you're now. more detached but from you, it. But it's not, it's a loving detached. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. like, well, I'm just detached from you. It's like, no, I'm detached. You can mm-hmm. be in your space, and I can be in my space, mm-hmm. and I'm okay over here. With you being okay over there. Yeah. You know, with your journey. It's so that's like, the part yeah. I was saying.
1: You get to the place where you just like, all right, whoever comes through that door, you are where you are. And here are the tools, but I am not codependent on whether you're gonna heal or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's and that, freedom. And, and that yeah. yeah. No that's, hooks. That's it.
5: No hooks yeah. on no the hooks. outcome. No hooks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. you know what the um, my my sense of myself isn't wrapped in my career and my career success or failure isn't wrapped in your success or failure. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what it kept getting me as like this like you said, if this person doesn't get it like this, then I haven't done my job, which is which means that I can't proclaim that I'm this or that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, nope, you're just a facilitator anyway, friend. You weren't even supposed to be that involved in the beginning, right? Like you're right. there to help <laughs> them move through this. This person is just as empowered as you are, right? right? So you, you go there, you do what you're supposed to do, you're, you're in that companionship and in, that, in, a, in an appropriately collaborative space with this person, and then you let it go.
4: That's a good point you brought up because I asked one of the professors when I was going through my uh, master's degree in social work, and I said, I asked him, I said, well, what if I make it worse? And he just laughed. He says, "Honey, you're not going to make it worse."
3: <laughs> Nothing you could do is going to
4: make it worse." And I really didn't understand that. I'm like, "Well, what if I say something and what if, you know, And because I'm thinking I got all this control over them, and <laughs> you know, I, I can make them feel better. Hmm. And I, it took me years to understand what he meant, like they're in their own stuff, and that's it.
2: Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, it's freeing for everybody. I think it's it's a very lovely feeling when you can do that. I mean, now the new thing for me has come up that I you know need to make sure that I set that expectation with the clients. You know, in the beginning, we call them in the in the Priestess Temple that I'm in. It's um, sacred agreement, which is something that you set up with anyone. But um, just letting people know, like, hey, look this is your responsibility this is my responsibility mm-hmm. these are your goals these are my goals this is where we're going to move this thing to and you know and, and letting them know where they go because i mean especially for a lot of my clients they expect answers and yeah instant you know like what's going to happen for me and i need to know this 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 or this right now and i'm like you want to know a secret even if i tell you the exact future it's not gonna change it's it, and gonna... you're not gonna like it anyway. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: you mm-hmm. know, I think that uh, that Karate Kid movie, um, you know, really taught you process because he's there to learn in his mind karate, and he's. But Mister Miyagi is not only teaching you life skills; he's also teaching you what you want. It doesn't. It just doesn't look like what you mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. But the outcome is going to be more than what you ever could expect. And so as people come into Inception, we have this whole jumpstart guide and we're starting to really try to really train people to understand that, you know, like you said, this this is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. We've, we've done all the work to get you and support your brain, your body into the healing process. But that's just what it is. It's us supporting you and you supporting yourself, mm-hmm. not us being your healer. Not us being the man behind the curtain and not us being, you know, the the wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. It's like no yeah. any leader, coach, pastor, teacher, if they're taking you away from you, yeah. then they're taking you away from you. Like we're trying to point you
3: to, to the in to, mm-hmm. to
1: the inward part. Mm-hmm. So even as that that show that we watch, you know, everybody's like, well, What's the next steps? And we just kind of detailed man, you put all these pieces together, it goes back to that thing. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't come to Inception or uh, Arrhythmia or Elysium or <laughs> wherever and think that, like, this linear process of healing because we've been conditioned about healing from biblical standpoints too where we think about spontaneous remissions. Mm-hmm. And those things do happen, but if you look at most of our ailments and diseases and mental, emotional issues. Those things happen underneath the surface by a process Mm
2: -hmm. for years,
1: for years. But then you want to run to the therapist inception, the coach, the advisor, and you want instant transmission. Mm -hmm. But if it transformed like that, that quickly, you
2: probably
4: die. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't want to do the work. See, they want or you come right back to, to it. Or you
2: come right back to it, it yes. and find yourself right back in the same condition cuz you mm-hmm. haven't thought about your mindset changes that need to support the change. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you get healed of cancer and you got cancer because you smoked 50 yes. years mm-hmm. of your life, but you don't know how to stop smoking, right? Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you could be healed, but in 5 years you might have lung cancer all over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's just a small sample of it, but so many other ways in which we have these uh, microaggressions against ourselves <laughs> mm. that that are traumas that we perpetuate against ourselves. And it, we want them to be healed, but we're not willing to do the work on those small things that actually facilitate healing over a long period of time. Yeah.
1: And so that's a good statement, too, because me and my mom talked about the process. We were talking about, man, if you start looking at and looking at all the pieces of the puzzles for the last 30 years of your life and how you got to one step to the next if you remove one domino oh, yeah. from mm-hmm. that process, you don't get to be who you are and where you are right yeah. now. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So it is definitely a, uh, you know, ongoing process. And that's what Charlamagne asked. How do you know when you're healed?
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I can't
1: remember their response, but I, I'll tell you uh, somebody who, who a body worker who I've been working with. She said, you know, when the healing work is done. I said, no, when? She says, when it's done, you got about 20 minutes left to live. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so this idea of Mm -hmm. when am I healed? Well, you just ate something that your body has to go process right now. There's E. coli and staph and all Mm -hmm. type of stuff in your body right now that you don't even know is there. Mm -hmm. It's just not overtaking you because your system is constantly working behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So this concept of healing, of Heal my trauma again. It's still airy fairy. Like, how do I really touch it? And it's just like, this is process of converting energy for the rest of your life. Yeah. And there's always going to be stressors. There's always going to be traumas. But how do you take that energy in? And just like when you go to the gym and you put on 100 and 200 pounds and you bench press that, the body has to make a determination that, you know what, we need to grow and get bigger next time. So when we come lift this, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with our healing life journey. It's like the bumps and bruises you take, how you're able to convert and heal from that is going to determine if you're able to adapt and continue moving forward.
2: Yeah, entirely. And I I look at it as... um... Uh, we we're talking about this earlier, right? as, as an upward spiral, that that at, at some level, we experience trauma, boom, age 10. And then we get to age 15, it's triggered in different ways. Mm-hmm. Age 20, triggered in different mm-hmm. ways. We start doing some healing work. It triggers us less, but we come back around to it again at age 30, mm-hmm. because we're in a different environment, and someone says something, and it triggers us again. Mm-hmm. So it's still there. It's It's a part of who we are. And and Mm -hmm. in a way, the the person, the the doctor was right. It becomes a part of our personality that we have to confront on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It may not be as dominant over time. Mm -hmm. It may not prevail over our, our way of being, but it's something that we know is a part of our life that as we progress, as we know more, as we learn more, as we do more healing work, we come back around to it and it may show up in real small ways. And we may be thinking during the conversation, ooh, I felt that, but it doesn't hurt as much as it used to. And I
4: think it it depends on your level of self-awareness. Take, for example, uh, a kid that has been neglected, right? And they grow up and they become an adult and um, they get in relationships and they may be triggered like this person is neglecting me. Mm -hmm. They're not paying attention to me. They're not listening to me. And so that could be another trigger, but, what you said was that it can go on for you know different developmental stages in your life, which is true, and I think that one of the key things for me has been being aware of it mm-hmm. like this This is this thing that pushes my buttons, and is this situation one of those times when it's doing it, and what do I need to do yeah. to take care of myself? yeah, so when we talk about being healed, people want to be. Healed.
1: Well, that's again, that's what I'm telling you. Yeah, that's like, that's right. condition from the church. I'm telling yeah. you that like, when we hear that, like go to Benny Hinn and get this, get your hands yeah. laid on you mm-hmm. and you are healed. It's, and it's like, but I've been to Benny Hinn's things and I saw people going in on stretchers and coming out on them same stretchers. Mm-hmm. So
3: it, yeah. you know,
1: that that concept is like I'm not saying that doesn't exist because we've 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 seen that. People have experienced spontaneous healings, but... But you're talking about a, a disease, right? No. I'm Because I think that you're still going to make that association that, well, if you heal my broken arm, well, you can heal my broken mind, too. Mm-hmm. But there's so
4: many layers of that. Like, yeah. how do you tease out <laughs> you were damaged in this area and damaged in that area, damaged... You know, the healing is like, could be multifaceted and... What area of your life are you talking about being healed?
5: Yeah. Yeah, everybody wants it now, you know, at the the mental level, even the physical level, the spiritual level, they just like, you know, there's one right now. I mean, I know, you know, for, for me, I deal with people, especially women in relationships, which I just find this in a million years, I would have not imagined that I would be here in my life today doing this kind of work. But, you know, women come to me and, you know, they ask a lot of questions about the other person in the relationship. Because their their idea of healing is the perfect marriage. And mm-hmm. so they come to me and, is he going to come back? When's this going to happen? And I'm like, mm. well, you have to work on this aspect of yourself and this aspect of yourself because even if he comes back, you won't be ready to hold the love of that relationship because you have other traumas, right? And I think even for my myself in that healing, it's like I'm so accustomed to being in, in relationships, no matter even if it's love or whatever, of having these la- relationships kind of explode or implode on me. And so I developed anxiety
3: mm-hmm.
5: over the years. And I, for me, my I don't want to say I've been completely healed, but my version of healing is now taking that anxiety and making use of it. So when it hits me and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, my spidey senses are going off about a circumstance, whether it's in business or friendship or in love, this is what I'm sensing and saying, hey, this isn't an anxiety. It's actually a really good sense. You see something over here, go, go address it, look at it, talk about it, think it through, put some things in place. And then once that's done and resolved, you can move forward, right? And that's taking and transmuting that energy rather than allowing it to run my life, you know and constantly living in fear and jumping in and out of situations and like hunkering down and i mean for me it's like i said less about healing and more about like taking it and using it for something yeah useful. and that's
2: the tools that you're referring to like do yes. you have the 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 requisite skill to manage the emotional cues that we get from trauma mm. or trauma triggers to then harness that and use that information wisely as opposed mm-hmm. to being reactive you can be creative as, as those triggers arise and then they're no longer controlling us as a reactive force, but we are harnessing them in a, in a way of relating more effectively. And and it's also a point of vulnerability because if I can say, right. you know what, what you just said really triggered me, but I know it's not you. So just, I'm just going to have to take, take a moment here and process what you just said. That but helps the other person then relate to me. more That helps them
1: too. But it also, it, it, it... Whatever observe is observed changes. Yes. So having the mm-hmm. level of awareness to see that is the power to begin with. Like I right. said, like, cause now you can actually, so the space between stimulus and response as Stephen Covey talks about mm-hmm. stimulus and response, instead of just going to that knee jerk reaction, I have enough space and awareness to see my programming happening in real time and step back and say, you know what? because this is what our brain training does. Mm -hmm. It gives you these skips, pauses, and interrupts and lets you know what your brain did in its last time. It's like, you know what, Kev? Do you really want to do that? Mm -hmm. So when you Mm -hmm. feel that trigger, Mm -hmm. that's the stimulus, and now you have the the space enough to be able to say, you know what? This is what happened, but this is the power because now I have the awareness and the ability to do something with it. And oftentimes I think people, they get stuck at just the spot where you got some space, but then you wouldn't have filled it up with more junk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you lost your resources again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that goes down to that question, too, when they they were saying there's a difference between therapy and healing. Mm-hmm. You remember when they said that? Mm-hmm. They talked about that. What was your thoughts on that?
4: Go ahead. Well, I, healing, it's all a journey. Mm-hmm. And when you go into therapy, for me, it, it just allowed a process for me to get a better understanding or a safe place for me to raise my level of awareness that's what therapy was for mm. me for someone to be in a space and hold that space where I felt safe and um heard and not judged so i can process my thoughts to that person in the room you know mm. it was for me it wasn't for them so the healing i think what we're saying is much more key than healing. It's you learning how to be in the present moment and knowing, having a level of awareness of, I remember feeling afraid. And I stepped back from myself. And that's a very powerful thing that if you can do that and say, I have this fear of thought. What is this fear of thought about? I feel this fear in my stomach. What do I want to do with this? feeling, and it was something business relating. is this real? Is this really a boogeyman at my door? No. So I have this feeling of fear. What do I want to do with it? And I have some techniques that I do to reduce that level of fear. When people say they want to be healed, they're saying, I don't want to do the work. The healing is in doing the work consistently all the time for the rest of your life. Until you're twenty minutes away from being dead. Yeah. That's where the power lies in. Healing is a future thing. I want to be healed. If you hear that, that's like I want to be healed. That's a future thing. And and something doing somebody doing something to you. It's you are healing yourself by doing the work in the present moment of saying, This thought is not. I've been programmed to think we had um, a um, worker whose mother told her, you're a piece of shit, and you deserve to die. Mm. And so she had these thoughts running, and so she would attract situations or whatever. For her, the healing would be knowing that's not true. At this moment, I'm feeling that. What do I need to do about that? This person is not good in my life. I need to make a shift. So when we say that healing, it's like, I just want it all to be taken away. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do the work. And it's so, we are so multifaceted and so many levels to us. Then to be healed is to die.
2: (laughs) It is a way. It is. Yeah. 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 Because, I mean, you could have a terminal sickness and death is healing in that moment. Mm
4: -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause
2: yeah, because you're nothing but light at that point.
4: Mm-hmm. You, you you're out of I don't want to do the
1: work.
2: Yeah. I just
4: want to, you're healing, you are healing yourself. It's not something that you, you know, you guys know well, what I'm Yeah, i talking about.
2: Yeah, I think you're, you're tapping into something really important here. And that's that we don't, we, uh, our human beings are designed to heal themselves when given the right environment to do so. Mm-hmm. So we talked about safe spaces, and we talked about environments of excellence, and we talked about, you know, um, creating environments where where that work can be done, whether that be therapy or coaching, or, or the brain training, or or technology that equips and it enables that healing. Well, to me, the 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 therapy is akin to weightlifting. Like you say, you want to be strong, but you don't want to go lift weights. Hmm. How are you gonna do that? Hmm. I mean, you could just. Like, imagine yourself lifting <laughs> weights. And I, I think Bruce Lee had some kind of methodology where he just kind of tensed up his muscles and eventually. But that was work, too. Mm-hmm. He still mm-hmm. created the tension. He had to that, do something. That, right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the therapy is whatever modality we invest in to, to create the necessary tension. It's just
4: the vehicle.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the tension that we create in our, in our development, whatever that, that needs to be. And then the rest that we give ourselves so that our body and our mind can do that work yep. right. that we can't consciously do. Because we don't, I mean, nobody's like mentally healing mm-hmm. their, their muscle right. fibers between workouts. It's not, we don't consciously do that. But yet that is what's healing and making us stronger. So there's, I think right. there's a part where we are invested and a part where we let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a uh, stimulus response, response loop that we live in and so you got what's called hormetic responses like there's a hormetic response to sitting in a infrared sauna Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: you know there's a hormetic response to obviously uh cold exposure Mm -hmm. you know um the body's you know trying to adapt and when you give it to it in doses the body can take those doses and process and integrate black people. Problem is with the doses that we've been given is too big of a dose. Mm -hmm. And so either we got too much stimulus coming at us and the inability to process and integrate. But now we're going into a culture where there is not as much stimulus. And a lot of it is based on, well, you know, we talked about cancer, cancel culture, and it's mm-hmm. and the the offense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, mm-hmm. and my nervous system can't take, yeah. Yeah. can't handle the rejection that. of those yeah. processes. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it's, it's twofold: either you got too much or you got too little. Mm-hmm. But you you need a, a you need enough, and you still need the the the, the recipe of summer, fall,
3: mm-hmm.
1: spring. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, well, what did I say: summer, fall, winter, mm-hmm. spring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the whole cycle, and we go against that. Yep. That's our cycle, mm-hmm. though.
5: Summer all the time, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. day, every day. Summer, just mm-hmm. like it was like. Yeah, no, if, <laughs>
1: if and if it was like that all the time, our hearts would burn out. Mm-hmm. We'd die yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. from that constant stimulus of the sun. I mean, because anywhere you go on a planet, even in I lived in Miami for mm-hmm. six years, yeah. even in the winter. Even though it's still warm, that sun ain't hitting you like it's the mm-hmm. summer. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a it's, and... it's a different level. It's a different level of stimulus, mm-hmm. and yeah. we have not learned how to go with the flow because mm-hmm. we're going into. I told y'all we are going into busy season. Yeah. How is it yeah. busy season when the winter is saying slow down and mm-hmm. rest?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's because we're we're programmed this way to go against nature, and as the the healers of ourselves and working with other people to become healers of ourselves is important to get people in the natural track of life. So, mm-hmm. as we watch that whole show and you know they're going through their first journey, it's like this whole conversation is about that natural flow. And when people ask, oh, "Well, after inception, what do you do?" It's like. Keep going.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. the real answer. It's mm-hmm. not about
1: finding the therapist. or no, no, just keep going in your healing journey and how that's going to look like and how that's going to unfold for you. is going to be way different than it was for each and every one of us.
4: That's
3: correct. You
1: know, yep. some people coaching, may be, some people spiritual advising, some people social worker therapy, some people inception, maybe a some combination. people a combination mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's all about just keep going. So if you keep going and you keep doing the inner work, then that's what's going to enrich your life, and not waiting for some big payoff at the end of your life. It's mm-hmm. enriching it as
4: in the meantime, in
1: the meantime, mm-hmm. along the way,
4: along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big deal. all right, everyone. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs> la, 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 You've been la, listening to la, the, the Inner Wealth Podcast la, on la, EYL. Get out the Theme song produced by Be Ready for West Coast Creations. I am Raz Cass, reminding you to take action, be proactive, be congruent, get out of the matrix, get your mind right. We've automated mental health at inception. Join the movement. (laughs) (laughs) La, podcast.
4: Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com podcast.
6: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient.